The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church and is part of our series on the book of Job called Where Were You? For previous messages or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. If you have your Bibles this morning, if you could turn with me to Job 38. Job 38. So if you're new with us or, or maybe you've missed a couple messages along the way, we are in our fifth week now. Time has flown in this series on the book of, of Job. And so we started the first couple weeks just looking at the story in chapters one and two, just looking at a story, an incredible story, right? He was a righteous man, an upright man, and um, he was a man who walked in the favor of God. I mean, honestly, this man had it together. And then our, 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 our scene shifts then into heaven, right, where, where God and Satan are having this conversation. And God says, have you considered my servant Job? He's righteous. He's blameless. Have you considered my servant Job? And it all starts. Satan says, yeah, God, but he only loves you for your stuff. He loves you because you bless him, you protect him, you will give him favor. But God, if, if you allow me to take those things away from him, he's not only going to turn away from you, he's going to curse you to your face, Job. Or God, that, that's who Job is. And so um, God then says the unthinkable, which is go, have at it. Only do it under my parameters, meaning uh, you can't touch his life, but you can go. And, and this begins a series of attacks that his, uh, Job's life begins to unravel uh, fairly quickly in our story. So, so to make it brief, he loses his, his wealth and his financial security. Uh, he loses his, his own children, his servants. He, he eventually loses his own health. Just in a moment, in a whirlwind, it's gone. And, and uh, through it all, the text says that Job did not charge God with wrong. He didn't charge God with wrong, which is incredible. However, through it all, we get this picture of a man who is in tremendous amounts of pain and suffering. This is, this is Job. There, he suffers for months and with no relief and no answers. And then uh, the text says that his friends show up. They show up, they don't even recognize him, but they, they sit down with him and they weep with him for seven entire days, just weeping with their friend Job, um, until finally the silence is broken and Job and his friends begin to speak. Well, the last two weeks, we looked at their conversation, uh, and what we tried to do is um, look at some of the prominent themes that, is, that are going to come out of first the friends. And then the next week, we looked at the prominent theme that comes out of Job's words himself. So let's look at the friends first. The main theme that we saw with the friends is that wickedness equals punishment and righteousness equals blessing. So all throughout the friends, uh, as they're talking, trying to comfort Job, they're doing the best they can. Hear me. They're doing the best that they can for their friend. But this was their primary um, theme that comes out throughout the vast majority of their, of their conversation. Um, it's, Job, your suffering is a result of, of some kind of sin in your life. And if you would just address that sin, repent, turn around, stop doing it, that you will again walk in the favor of God. 
and God will again start to, to bless you. Um, now, as we said, this theme is both true and false. So it is false in that Job's suffering was not a result of any specific thing he did wrong. Right, Our text is very clear. Job holds to his innocence. Um, It's not a result of some kind of sin that he was just needing to clean up and then God would, no. It wasn't a result of that. So his friends were wrong in this. This was a righteous man suffering. However, his friends were right in that this right here is a, a statement of the gospel that we hold to. In that we who are wicked, that Christ takes our punishment giving us his righteousness so that now we can walk in his blessing. Like that is the gospel. So in in some sense, they were true and and false in that. We then turned and looked at Job's words. And Job's theme that comes out is this, is that I am suffering and God is silent. I am suffering and God is silent. Uh, Job is saying, God, I'm calling out to you and nothing, just silence. Um, we talked about this last week, that what do we do in those moments of just silence? When there's no easy answer, there's no easy fix. I am suffering and God is silent. Now, we talked about even in the moments where God is silent, that you are never forgotten. And that as a Christian, any one of you who holds this in their hand, your God is not silent either. So we talked about that a little bit last week, but here's the cool thing. This morning, I'm really excited about this morning because we turn our attention to the the resolution, the closer. God himself comes and he speaks. God himself comes and he speaks. We get the final word. We get the response. You ready for some answers? They're not what we expect, but we're gonna get some answers today. So when Candace and I first got married, uh, we got our, our first apartment in Irving, Texas. Uh, we were so excited for this place. It was our own place, right? We made it our own. You know, there's a certain level of joy that make, like making your, your first space your own. That was us. We were, we were so excited. Um, now, for those of you who know Candace, you know that Candace is not the kind of girl who's going to live in a, in a space of all white walls, She's, she loves herself some color. She's, she's creative, and she's so much more fun than me. And so those walls were going to get painted. We just knew it. It was obvious. We had to do something about it. Even though we were only going to be in this apartment for six months, we knew we needed to paint those walls. And, and so um, even though we knew we were going to have to, I knew we were going to have to paint them back. So um, before we knew what happened, our entire living room was red. It was beautiful. Red. It was red. And um, so let's fast forward six months. And so here we are. Uh, our, we're, we're transitioning out of this place. We have another space in mind. We're excited. We're ready for the new chapter we're packing up, and, and uh, something needs to be done about those very red walls, though, just glaring at us. And, of course, we weren't going to pay them to do it or them to paint it because we're newlyweds, right, a.k.a. broke. And so we do these things ourselves, and so it was, it was our job to do. Now, um, have any of you tried to paint red walls with white paint? 
the word is not, you know, that I would describe is not fun. Like, it, 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 is a, it is a task. It's like the wall mocks you with every coat, um, making you wonder why we chose red. But um, again, uh, like I said, we're newlyweds, so we weren't going to spend a lot of money on expensive paint to just put coat after coat after coat after coat on this wall. Uh, there was something else we needed to do. There's something that they make called a primer, uh, which is an important step because what a primer does is you put this less expensive substance on the wall, and, and what it does is it gets the wall ready to be painted. It makes our red wall ready to take white paint. You follow me? Um, we'll come back to this, but I want us to think of Job 32 through 37 like a primer. Like the primer that's getting the wall ready to be painted. Uh, Chapter 32 is going to introduce us to an interesting guy by the name of Elihu. New character on the scene. We know nothing from previous context about him. He shows up. He He is a passionate, angry young man. Like he is burning with like, I'm going to set this thing right. Like, he is, he is passionate. So he's angry at both Job and his friends. And you get the sense that he's been sitting and waiting, like, twiddling his thumbs, ready to pounce and say, I'm going to tell you how you got this wrong, guys. And so finally, he, he does. He, he's mad at Job because Job is justifying himself over God. And he's mad at the friends because they've continually given Job no answers. So he's just mad. He's just an angry, young, young man. He's going to take the stage now, and he's going to deliver the longest monologue of the book. So he's just going to go. He's not brief. Uh, he's actually quite repetitive, if you read through his, his, his uh, monologue here. Um, and although Elihu didn't get everything right in what he said, in his, in, uh, he's, he's an angry young man, and he, he lets him have it. But here's, he hit the nail on the head with a couple of things, Um, and he provides this incredible primer for God to speak. Elihu is our primer. Let me me show you. It's incredible to see, because he begins with frustration in chapter 32 through 36, but then in chapter 37, he starts to apply the primer on the wall. Elihu shifts his focus, um, uh, his, his monologue, to the greatness of God, how big God is. This is where he, he ends. He talks about his majesty, his power. Um, and Elihu's words here are, gonna, are going to kind of set the stage for what God himself says right after Elihu gets done, gets done talking. So he focuses all of the attention back to God himself, to his greatness. Listen to this. Um, You don't have to turn here. I'm going to put it on the screen. We're going to be in 38, but let me read this to you. Let me read our primer. Um, So, hear this, O Job, stop and consider the wondrous works of God. Do you know how God lays his command upon them and causes the lightning of his cloud to shine? Do you know the balancings of the clouds, the wondrous works of him who is perfect in knowledge, You whose garments are hot when the earth is still because of the south wind, can you, like him, spread out the skies hard as a cast metal mirror? We don't know much about this this man, this Elihu, 
Uh, But what we do know is that he sets the stage brilliantly for what God is about to say. He sets the primer on the wall. And now I want us to shift from primer, because no one enjoys just priming the wall the whole time. We need to shift to the paint, right? So we're going to shift to the paint. Before we do, and before we get into 38, I have one clarification that I need to hit real quickly, and that is this. What we are about to read is absolutely universal, Um, universal. So uh, every week of this series, what we've done is we've tried to do two things. We've talked about the ways that we share in common with Job and the ways that we are different than Job. So every week we've talked about, you know, yeah, we have moments in our lives where we can relate to Job, where we suffer and there's no answers and it feels like you can't just fix this problem. It's deep. It's messy. We are in those moments and we can relate to Job. Job is highly relatable. Um, On the other side, though, every week we've done our best to talk about the ways that we are different than Job, that we have more than Job had, Uh, namely that we have the very spirit of God indwelling us, that we are never alone, that we have the word of God that, that basically leads us and shows us who our God is. He speaks through it. Job didn't have that. More than that, we stand on the completed work of Jesus Christ. The completed work of Jesus Christ. Um, And in that way, we get the privilege of looking back on something that Job did not have. He only anticipated. We, We, in so many ways, we can relate to Job, which, by the way, I've talked to so many of us who are right there and can relate to Job. But at the same time, we are different than Job. Every week we've talked about this. But here's the difference about this week. We are exactly like Job this week. Uh, No matter who you are, where you're from, no matter where you're born, if you're from the Middle East in 756 B.C. or from San Antonio, Texas in 2016, this applies perfectly to you. And the reason I say this is because no matter who you are this morning, I want you to put yourself in the shoes, and as we read this, let it be read to you. In your situation, because we are exactly like Job in the way God is going to respond. It is universal and completely applicable for us. These words are hope, and they should give us confidence. And having said that, let's dive into them. Uh, Job 38. Job 38. God breaks his silence. And does he ever break his silence? Then the Lord answered Job out of a whirlwind and said, so let's not rush past that one. Um, He answered Job out of a whirlwind. So the whirlwind thing, it's literally a mighty wind. It just so happens that this is the same word that's used in the first chapter when he lost his sons. A mighty wind blew the house down and he lost his sons. It's the same word here. In, In other words, this is not a like rustling of the tree. This is a mighty, awe-inspiring wind, mighty wind. It's a scene of power. Not only is the message that God is going to deliver powerful, but it's delivered in power. And that makes all the difference as, as Job is kind of humbled by this moment, as we're going to see. Uh, verse 2, this is what God says. Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? 
In other words, who has been speaking all of these words, coming up with all of these solutions, trying to put the pieces together with no knowledge? Who has been doing this? Who has been putting words in my mouth? That's how God starts his his monologue here. Um, They've been counseling each other. They've been trying to reason with each other of how they could have gotten this place. And, And God says, Job, how could you? Who gave you the right to accuse me? Who gave you the right to accuse me, to put words in my mouth? Friends, who gave you the right to speak to him that way when you had no knowledge? Now, I love this next verse. And when I say love, I mean it terrifies me, but I love it. All right. Um, Verse three, dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. So literally in the Hebrew, this is translated, gird your loins like a man. Some of you are going to, I'm going to use that. Like gird your loins like a man. In other words, like strap that belt on, tighten it up, lace up the boots, get ready for work. That's what God is kind of communicating here. So I want to give you the JEV, the Justin Evans translation of this. Um, Job, put on your big boy pants. Job, put on your big boy pants. I'm going to question you, and you're going to answer me now. Nearly 40 chapters, you and your friends have been pummeling me with questions and accusing me. Now, let's turn this around. Let me speak and you answer. Put on your big boy pants. Verse 4. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. <laughs> what a way to begin. Job for, and his friends for 40 chapters have been saying, God, where are you in this? How could this be? Where are you? Where were you when I needed you? Where were you when the bottom fell out in my life? Where were you? And in this moment, God says, Job, where were you? Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Now let that settle in. Let that settle in for just a moment because our, our, our tendency, I say our, I'll own this, my tendency when I'm going through something difficult is to take God and put him on trial. Start pummeling him with, with all these questions. And, and first of all, church, there's nothing wrong with asking God questions. Right, there's nothing wrong with that. God can handle our, our questions. Um, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more. But for a moment, put yourself in Job's shoes. It's almost as if God had been kind of the defendant here. And now the defendant sit, stands up and says, Job, take my seat. I have some questions for you. It's kind of what just happened here. Let's switch seats, Job. Says Job, look around. All that you see, look around. I did that. And where were you when I did that? Um, I don't remember seeing you there. Were you napping? Were you away? Were you busy? Where were you when I did this? I don't remember seeing you there. How many of you are sarcastic? You can admit this in church. I'm beginning to think that part of what it means to be created in the image of God might have some element of sarcasm involved in this. 
because God's response is steeped in sarcasm. Oh my goodness, it is so sarcastic. Um, You're going to see this all throughout, but there's a humor in this and there's a sarcasm in this. And what it does is it makes God's point even stronger. It makes God's point even stronger. He says, tell me if you have understanding. Of course Job didn't have understanding. Of course he didn't have understanding of this. Um, Job is sitting on the ground trembling before a mighty wind. God says, tell me, if you have understanding, tell me. Imagine how small Job feels in this moment. And I'm not talking small like insignificant. I'm talking like small like an ant before an elephant, small. Like I feel like Job is there in in this moment. And as small as he feels now, um, with every word that God speaks after this sentence, Job feels a little smaller And God just seems a little bigger. With every word, he just seems to get a little smaller, and what he's going through just seems a little smaller. So I want to do something interesting, kind of unique, for us to see this, to really see it, um, in order to help us kind of see this better. So if you're listening online right now, and actually those of you in the room right now, uh, I would suggest if you're listening online, hitting the pause button, taking your Bible and just scanning down 38, 39, 40, 41, all the way to 42, and just look at some of the statements that God makes to Job. Like, where were you? Um, You know, I, I mean, all through this, just statement after statement. We're going to look at some of these in a little bit. Just scan down your Bible. And to help us get a bigger picture of what uh, God is saying to Job, I want us to take a look at this. What I've done here is, is taken every statement that God said, did you do this? Because I did this. Did you do this? I've taken every one of those statements, and I've decreased the font. I believe this is a font 12, um, and it just fills the screen. Every one of these statements that God makes, of course, Job's answer is no, um, but he just lays it out and, and with every one of these, of course it's rhetorical, right? This is these are all rhetorical statements like um, made clouds their garment. Like, of course, Job did not do that. His his answer is is no. But after every question, Job just gets a little smaller and God gets a little bit bigger. Just a little bit bigger. Um, and as these questions sit on Job, let's look at, at chapter 40. And Job says this, or God, the Lord says this to Job, uh, Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. It's as though Job was saying, the answers to all those statements, your answers are all no. Mine are all yes. And who are you to accuse me. Let's listen to Job's response in, in verse 3. Job feels it. He clearly gets it at this point. Then Job answers the Lord and says, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I am small. I am small. And Job puts his hand over his mouth. But I'm 
Fortunately, God's not done. As you can see in your Bibles, he continues. And, and so as we put those initial ones on the screen, so we need to add a few more to this because God is not done. So let's go ahead and add that. There it is. So now the font is, I think, in single digits at this point, and um, it just fills our screen with all of the things that Job says no, but God says yes. Church, this is a, a really simple message for us this morning. I promise you, I have one point, one simple point um, that we must see that we must see here. Um, there are so many important things that come out of Job. Like as we look at Job, there are so many things that we can take from, relate to, and apply, and it's so rich, and I love the book of Job. But there is one thing that if you don't see, you miss the entire point of the book of Job. This morning, we're going to talk about the main point, the main point. And if you get this, you get Job. And if you don't get this, you do not get Job. Because here's the deal. The real problem that, that we face as men and women is not suffering. The real problem is not sickness, loss, pain, hardships. That's not the real problem. Now, I don't want to downplay those things. They're incredibly difficult. Incredibly difficult. Um, but those things are not our real problem. And those things were not Job's real problem either. Because when God responds, no, he, notice that he does not give an answer for the why Job was suffering. He doesn't answer that. He doesn't say what happened. He doesn't say that. Because that's not Job's real problem. When God shows up, he speaks directly to Job's problem, the primary issue. So then, what is the primary issue that Job, that God resolves for Job? What is the primary issue in Job? It is this. The primary issue in Job is theological. This is a theological problem. And when I say theological, it mean, I mean our view and understanding of God. Follow with me, because when our view and understanding of God is flawed, our understanding of our life is therefore flawed as well. To put it another way, the bigger your view of God, the smaller this world's problems become, and the smaller your view of God, the bigger this world's problems become. Your theology directly affects the way you navigate through your life. Theology matters, church. Theology matters. And, and God shows up here, doesn't answer the why questions of why good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people. God doesn't touch that. What he says is, Job, let me give you a little bit of a theology lesson. Because when you get this, you're going to be okay. And Job shows up, or God shows up, and, and Job falls on his knees. Church, do, do your problems make your God look tiny? Do, um, are you here with, this, with a small God and so many large problems? When God showed up here, he revealed that he's bigger than the problems. He reminds us how big he is. Here it is. 
if, if your theology has a small God, you have a bad theology. If your theology has a small God, you have a, a bad theology. Hear me, I'm not minimizing problems, though. We face very difficult things. In fact, the Bible promises us that we will face very difficult things. We're going to talk about that more. But the, the, when you realize the magnitude of God, it will minimize everything else in comparison. Think about this. Um, God often uses our struggles, our problems, our trials, um, the things we don't understand and don't have answers to. He often uses those things uh, to communicate to us how, how big he really is. I think of James when, when James says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of, when you meet trials of various kinds. How could that be joy? Well, because our trials have a way of testing our faith in a really big God. And when our faith grows in a really big God, it brings real joy to our lives. It's joy. Peter says it like this, beloved, um, do not be surprised at the trial when it comes upon you. Um, to test you as though, or as, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Rejoice in the magnificent glory of God that's being revealed, meaning your God is big and eventually your trials are going to sh- showcase the glory of God. Our big problems should drive us to our big God, who therefore makes our big problems smaller. What we just saw in Job's life was Job, Job's problems, although difficult, just shrinking in comparison to the magnitude of the God that he stood in front of. Several years ago, uh, my family walked through a really difficult season. Um, it, was, uh, it, was, it was a couple years ago. My cousin, Lana, uh, who was in her mid-20s, that's, that's her. Uh, she was in her mid-20s, was diagnosed with melanoma, uh, cancer. And um, her journey was so hard. Um, she kept a, a journal through the entire journey, though, and uh, I wanted to take a moment, and I just wanted to read to you. I read this this week, and I, I had to share. Uh, I want to read to you an entry that she wrote kind of in the middle, late middle of her battle. Um, listen to this. I in no way doubt the salvation that I possessed prior to cancer. I am certain I was saved. I simply had no idea of the heights nor depths of God's love and the enormity of the relationship that he wanted to have with me. I just didn't understand. I was too simple-hearted. This is why I must tell you that no matter what kind of suffering you are dealing with now, don't let it break you. Let it make you. We possess the power of the living God inside of us. Whatever pesky little problem you are dealing with, give it to him, and I promise he can handle it. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Fall on your knees before him. Cry out to him for grace, his forgiveness, and his strength, and allow his power to reign in your life. Listen to this. Yes, I may have a few pesky little tumors, 
but that is nothing compared to the glory of God that can be revealed through me if I turn to him and let him make me, not the cancer break me. Most of us in this room would not be able to call a cancerous tumor a pesky little problem. But when it's placed in comparison to a really big God, it becomes a pesky little problem. Lana was right. Her cancer was a pesky little problem because it ended up bringing God so much glory here on earth. Um, And in the end, it was the thing that brought her to the presence of God himself. Um, The primary issue that we face, church, is not the struggles, the trials that we encounter. The, the primary issue that we face is our view of God himself. It's a theological problem. And when we get that right, you can navigate through anything in this life because nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. How do you view God this morning? How is your theology? Uh, Here's the theology of Job. As a child of God, there is no problem that is bigger than your God. Period. As a child of God, there is no problem that is bigger than your God. Through Christ, you're even able to stare death in the face with no fear. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God through Christ Jesus, our Lord. There is nothing. God's response in in Job 38 is a beautiful text that reminds us that he is bigger than anything that you will ever face. You can trust him completely, and he has never made a mistake, ever. He has never made a mistake. And if you don't know this really big God this morning, um, this God who holds everything together, this God who created all that we see, come to him. This is primary this morning. This is primary this morning. Um, Think of this church. The God who spoke, who just silenced Job through a massive whirlwind, loves you and has provided a way for you to know him eternally. He's invited you to be his child through the work of Jesus Christ. And just think that God loves you. If you don't know him this morning, it must start here. It must start here. Say it one more time. It must start here. Let me pray for us. God, you are such a big, big God. You, have truly, you are truly beyond even what we can comprehend. And, and so often we are so weighed down by the things of this life that we fail to stop and see it. God, I pray that we can learn from the whirlwind experience of Job and that we can put ourselves in Job's shoes so that we can experience that whirlwind as well. 
so that you can give us a theology lesson about how big you are, how all else pales in comparison to you and your glory. God, and for those in in this room who do not know you yet, I pray that right now you move in their heart and mind, that you show them that they feel that they are loved by you and that all the other stuff and questions that maybe they're weighed down with, none of that matters because they are loved by you perfectly, completely, forever. God, I I pray that that sinks and settles down on, on people in this room. Whether we have been following you for years or whether we have not yet, that God, that that fact, that reality settles on us. God, we respond this morning by saying we are small and you are big and we are grateful that you would love us. We give you the glory and the honor because it is all due you. And we pray this in your son's name who makes all this possible. In Jesus' name, amen.